worthy are you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, we thank you for the joy of overcoming. The joy of overcomers that's in this place this morning. We thank you that you have placed your delight on your people here today. We thank you that we can praise you with hearts free from shame. And we can praise you this morning with hearts in full confidence that you have accepted and adopted, washed and sanctified us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And you've placed your spirit inside of us. And it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, not Christ in spite of us. Oh, we love you. We treasure you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Man, you can find your seats. Man, did we just play just for a minute more? As you direct your attention to the screen, we're going to read over Luke chapter 15 today. If you want to check it out in your Bibles. Luke chapter 15, we're just going to let the music play so that we stay focused. Now hear this with fresh ears, even if this story is familiar to you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me for I have found my lost, my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons that need no repentance? Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she, lost, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house until, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I will tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had took, all that he had, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who, set, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish 
here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near the house, he heard the music and dancing and he called one of the servants or young boys and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes and, kill, and you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so Jesus, I pray this day that you would open the scriptures to us in a fresh way that you would call us into a greater understanding of who you are, that you would bless us with the good news of the gospel of your grace. We love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Can we get a round of applause to the band in particular? Amanda and team. Beautiful. Boy, I love music. Welcome. If you're new here, I'm Samuel. I'm one of the pastors here. You can feel free to call me Sam or Samuel. It's your choice. I'm not trying to confuse people. I just often forget which people want to call me. As long as you don't call me something else, that's, I'm good. I, so yeah, I want to welcome you. If you're new, I really want to welcome you and, uh, and welcome to our summer schedule that now feels like the fall. Uh, with the, the weather out here, all of a sudden the sun disappears and we come home from Cowichan. How many people went to Cowichan this week? You can tell because they're tired because normally they're more excited. <laughs> Cowichan was incredible. We just got back from a youth and young adults retreat. Let me tell you something I love about this church is that our church, we have stumbled into, if you will, and I want to use that word not, uh, not in a weird way, but in a joyous way, stumbled into something that I think is very close to the heart of God. And our, our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Randy, he brought us into something almost like 12 years ago uh, where he would pray and seek God as to the beginning of the year in January and seek God for a word that he would open up to us and that we would all receive and participate and it would give kind of a bit of a frame for the rest of our year. And it has been unbelievably painful trying to walk through that frame. And many of us end up walking into that frame. 
But then there's this crazy thing, because I don't know if you remember or you were here, but we had one of the missionary prophetess kind of people, Elsie Welsh, show up on that one random Sunday, because she just kind of flies in and flies out whenever she wants, according to the Spirit, and she came with a word of great grace on the day that my father brought the word grace. And interestingly enough, when my dad first launched that word, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, oh man, it's got to be a little bit more intense than just grace. That shows my skeptical nature. And I have, I have enjoyed, but yet it was confirmed out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. It was confirmed. And so therefore I was like, you know what? I trust it. Let's go. Let's play grace. And I, in the midst of this stumbling in grace, if you will, came across some of the best scholarship I've ever looked at in my entire life. There's this guy named Kenneth Bailey, who's the leading theologian and uh, kind of historian in Middle Eastern thought. And for 40 years, he lived amongst the peasants while he was doing his master's, his PhD, and every other thing. He speaks every Semitic language. He is nuts. And he causes me to geek out like crazy. And I just love him. He wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And a couple of the things I'm going to pull out here into a very familiar story will finally put together the prodigal son and you will see how the whole thing is grace. It blew my mind. Just a couple puzzle pieces that began to be placed in a certain way and then God began to speak to me in Revelation and I want to give Kenneth Bailey a call and go, hey, did you know what I discovered? This is actually what it says here. Too pretentious? (laughs) Revelation, I'll show you. So this is a mixture of a bunch of stuff and I've been studying this parable for a long time because every church scholar will say that this is the gospel within the gospel. Whoa. Okay, so if this is the gospel within the gospel, then why aren't we paying a little more attention to the whole thing of the gospel? But like classic Westerners, like I am, we decide to break things up in chapters and margins, except in the original thought, there was never chapters and margins. And so we break this up as if Jesus was telling three parables. But what you need to know this morning is that it says he told them this parable. All three go together. You cannot separate them or you miss the point. I was like, wow, this is exciting. So you're, this is, I'm very excited to share this with you this morning. And I believe it's going to solidify even more our understanding of grace. Because Jesus sets the foundation for repentance through this. And the kind of revelation that I've got in the own, my own empowerment that I feel like I've, I've walked into to overcome in this day and an age, I feel like love has been awakened more and more and more for Jesus because the right preaching of the gospel takes place here. Just incredible. So listen, listen to how shocking this is because they frame it. They accuse Jesus as, as um, the tax collectors and sinners. At verse one, if you want to follow along with me, Sarah, that'd be fantastic. So we're just going to go through this line by line, verse by verse. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, we, we might think like he just kind of hangs out with his sinners, but this is something that I've been preaching in this church for a long time, and it was confirmed this in my recent studies, is that receiving in the Middle Eastern thought 
is always far more than just going, hey, I'll hang out with you. It was a welcoming into fellowship and complete acceptance. That's why you didn't eat meals with anybody you weren't ready to enter covenant with. That's why the covenant of the Lord's table absolutely matters. Absolutely matters. That's why Jews, good Jews, would never go into a Gentile's house because they were not going to enter into covenant with those people. Wow. Now, this is stuff that I've been preaching for years before. And I know that this is something that many of you know, comment. But it furthers the reality of the Lord's table and why it matters that he wants to eat with us. Yeah. And But hopefully, I believe there's fresh revelation on all of this. So may the familiar be enlivened with revelation today. And may you see as if for the very first time, because I've been studying this for years and I feel like I'm continuing to see it for the very first time. So I won't preach with any notes. I'm just going to read from the Bible. We're just going to go from here. How's that sound? Giddy up. My notes will be from the text. Here we go. You ready? So then Jesus says this. So they accuse him. This is a big accusation. Okay? This, is a, this isn't some lighthearted, oh, it's no big deal. Jesus was causing the community around him to be held in contempt because Jesus was doing something they never did because literally they would be unclean and be banned from temple worship if they were unclean. They'd have to clean themselves for seven days if they defiled themselves by hanging out with that. And then Jesus says this, and this is the paraphrase, oh, you think I just welcome sinners? Oh, it gets way worse than that, baby. You think I'm just going to make covenant with sinners? It's way deeper than that. And so he tells them this parable. And somehow in this parable, you need to see that this parable is about Christ. This whole thing is a re-expansion or an understanding of the true nature of the, the character and nature of God. And John 14, 9 says that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. This, we get to find out, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And so, he told them a parable. And so, the parable of the sheep. This is, Jesus begins to unpack two forms, two types of lostness. The lostness outside in the wilderness, and then with the coin, the lostness inside the house. Two types of lostness. And he shows this picture, and, and apparently for the first three or four hundred years of Christianity, the picture of salvation and atonement and redemption was not the picture of the cross right away. It was actually the picture of a shepherd carrying a lamb on his shoulders because that was the closest they could actually understand to depicting how glorious this salvation was. And this was such a big deal that if you lost a sheep in that day and you were a shepherd, you, this was such a big deal that you had to prove, even with the bones of the sheep, that you found the sheep that you had lost. You could not lose a sheep. And that's why shepherds were never allowed to testify in court because everybody suspected that they just ate whatever sheep they wanted and then pretended that the sheep got lost and was eaten by a wild animal. They were very untrustworthy people. And yet Jesus reveals himself to them first. Shepherds, and then this is not a happy story for Christians to hear about shepherds and the parable of the shepherds. Nobody, we have nice images of Jesus carrying his sheep and it was carried over the neck, not under the arm and still to this day they do that because that's the only way 
the sheep will come home. Because when a sheep gets lost, apparently, never really cared for sheep. Run away from them a couple times when I was a little boy. But, uh, but, uh, but, but apparently when sheep get lost, they decide, to do, they decide to be as dumb as possible. And they decide to go deeper and deeper into whatever has caught them, whether it's a bramble bush, uh, like, uh, uh, like whatever, whatever has caught them, or if it's a, a ledge or a cliff area, and they just begin to cry out as loud as they can, and they're just like, blah, so that every wild animal knows somebody's in trouble. <laughs> go find that, blah, and we'll go get them. So the shepherd needs to rescue his sheep. And so he leaves all, and he goes off. He goes off. And this is common, right? We think, why would you leave all and go? Because that's the way they roll. Because it's too valuable to let go of one. Okay? So he lost. And he brings them home. And what you need to see about the two things about this lostness, we used to preach this for years in, uh, in our, our youth ministry when we were rolling out youth church is we used to highlight the fact when we preached Luke 15 because it was a very powerful message about the lost being saved because it's the gospel within the gospel. We used to notice something that we heard a lot of preachers back in the day preach that there's a party in heaven anytime you give your life to Jesus. A party in heaven. Except we started reading the Bible for ourselves and we went, um, it says there's a joy before the angels in heaven. And so the picture is of both celebrations of the shepherd and the woman of rejoicing before everyone else and trying to invite them into their joy. And I've heard it once said that you could, the best picture you could have about this is somebody spinning around wildly like a top. And so the Father God in heaven, when we turn in repentance towards him, is spinning wildly, just be like, ah, I love him, I love her. Just passionate appeal before all the angels. And the angels probably are looking like, whoa, he does love them. Because it's before the angels. So the lostness first that you need to hear is there's lostness outside. Outside. In the wilderness. Out far away. And then we hear the parable of the lost, same parable, but the coin that's lost. And this was about a day's wages, so it was a big deal for her to lose. And often those type of ladies uh, that would have coins all in one place would keep it in a kind of like a tied up rag bag. And sometimes money could be lost and there was lots of cracks for it to be lost. And so she couldn't just leave it. So she searches diligently until she goes towards the coin. Key understanding is both the sheep, even to this day, sheep never know they're really lost. They just think they're stuck. And coins definitely don't know they're lost. Otherwise, they'd find themselves over to my house far more often. <laughs> so then he unlocks something. Jesus unlocks the parable, the continuation of the parable of two sons. Of two sons. And the story is not just one son. It's two sons. And so we, f we hear about the first son. And this was the revelation that I got when I was studying this stuff. The first son who is lost outside. He leaves his father. And so we have the parable of the beginning part about the sheep. So the first son is like the sheep. The second son is like the coin. The son that is lost outside 
and the son that is lost in the house. Two types of lostness. Okay? So, let's play a game of understanding this through ancient eyes. When a son would say this kind of a phrase to a father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, the son was wishing his father dead. The word there is bios, and it means the word, the word about this dividing his property is the father divides his life because life was in the land. And so the idea behind this is the son was actually not wanting the father, but wanting his stuff. And he's saying, dad, get on with it. Go die. We don't want you. I don't want you anyways. Just give me what's coming to me. And do you know in Middle Eastern culture, this actually, this is very common knowledge, is that if this takes place, if a son ever said that to his father, that the father was expected and the community would all witness the father take his son out and beat him with severe blows with the back of his left hand, which is the biggest form of dishonor, and just begin to beat him and drive him away from his house. But yet Jesus unlocks something here about the real nature of the father. And the father does something that would put him in humiliation to all of his community. He humbled himself. We're going to look for Jesus throughout this. So if you're familiar with the scriptures, hear the language of what Christ has done. He humbles himself. And he goes towards his son. And he gives his son what he asks. Which was un heard of back then. You never would do that if you were a father because of the shame the community around you would put you under. But the father out of love for his son, understanding that it's not about the stuff, it's about the rejection of his love towards his son that he is feeling in this time. And so the son says not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had literally turned it into cash, just sold it all, which would have devastated people because back then land meant inheritance, turned it into cash, and then squandered his property in reckless living. I need to make a clarification point here. It's often been preached that reckless living meant that he was just sleeping around, playing around, drinking it up, doing all those things. It's not in the text till later in the accusation of his older brother, which actually was a big throwdown fight for the brother even mentioning it. So what he says here is reckless living, probably more like fast living in the sense, in the sense that what was common back then, the way you became popular wasn't to drink it up and live it up. It was actually to give everybody you could gifts to give you better reputation for the long term. He just spent it on everybody hosting parties, inviting people in, being incredibly gracious because that's what you do to gain favor. You buy people gifts. You buy everybody gifts. And so this is the idea. He went to a far off country. And when he has spent everything that he had, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Love that part. All of a sudden, things weren't working out the way he had thought. And so he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into a field to feed the pigs, which we know that he was among the Gentiles because Jewish people never kept pigs, right? 
Nice and easy. That's going to be important in a second. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He was longing to be fed with something that he actually couldn't stomach. And that same word longing actually is the same word that Jesus uses for when he desired to have the last supper with his disciples. It means with desire, I desire. It's this like whole movement, body, soul, mind, and spirit. It's crazy. And when he came to himself, hear this, came to himself means he got smart. He woke up. He realized what was going on. The same thing, and I apologize for jumping to different scriptures right now without showing you, but the same thing that when Peter gets delivered out of jail, everybody track with me now, Peter gets delivered out of jail by an angel, it's the same word that all of a sudden Peter thought it was a dream, and all of a sudden he realized he's in the temple square, and he goes, oh, I guess I really am free. Better go see my friends. <laughs> Just, like, it's, it's not, this is not repentance, when he came to himself, has nothing to do with him turning towards his father at all. He woke up and he realized, uh-oh, this isn't going to work out for me like I thought it was going to. I need to do something different. And he thinks through and he goes, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he begins to prepare this speech. But the speech actually is a direct quote from the Old Testament of Pharaoh saying, I've sinned against heaven and you when Pharaoh was talking to Moses. And so you would actually understand this more as a tactic of manipulation, not true repentance. Still. Same words Pharaoh did. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Please stop the plagues. And in fact, Jesus is rewriting part of Israel's story even in this. Direct quotation from the Old Testament. And so it says this. So he arose. Because even now I feel like he arose. See the prophetic picture? This kid needs resurrection. Resurrection life. He arose and came to his father. Now let me tell you about the lostness of this son. Because what's important for you to see in this is he starts making movement towards his father and we get this wrong idea of the gospel that we kind of shake stuff off and clean ourselves up and we're going to approach our father. This boy was lost in the wilderness at the edge of town because when he came to his father, he was not allowed to go to his father's house because he had done something in the Jewish mind that was deplorable for any young man to do. He had lost his inheritance to Gentiles. And so therefore, and this is what blew my mind, therefore there is something called a kazaza ceremony that this boy would have had to go through if he ever faced the townspeople. The father would never go to his son. And he was completely lost at the outside. And all he could do is hope that the father might send somebody to come and get him. But guess what the kazaza ceremony looks like? Is it happened with two types of people. One is if a young man married an immoral woman. And two, if he lost his inheritance amongst the Gentiles. And we know he lost his inheritance amongst the Gentiles because Jesus says he kept pigs. A small detail that super mattered. And so these people would actually feel angry that we're listening, angry towards this stupid son. 
They go, you are bad. And they would want to do something that they rather apparently enjoyed called the Kazaza ceremony. And so what they would do is they would take a clay pot and they would fill it with burned corn and burned nuts. And then they'd go to the sun and then they'd say when the sun was on the outside of the city, outside of the town, they'd go to him and they'd break it in front of him and all those smells would come and they'd go, you are cut off, you are cut off, you are cut off from your people. And nobody would ever have anything to do with them him again. They wouldn't hire him. They wouldn't employ him. Those are the same things. Not exciting. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't spend time with him. They wouldn't invite him in. Unless, unless the father saves him. And the way that the father would save is send one of his servants to go bring the son to his father and the father would sit and wait. But this also, this ceremony had to do with beatings. Young boys would often ridicule people that would have this ceremony take place against them and drive them out of town. Where if you've seen the passion of Christ, that's actually the depiction of what they say happened to Judas. A better picture, a more biblical story, because we don't know if that actually happened, is what the boys were doing to Elisha when they were making fun of Elisha and they said, go on up, Baldy, and they started making fun of him, trying to drive him away. And then Elisha throws down and apparently calls bears out and... Like, maul the kids? Like, seriously, buddy. <laughs> Little extreme. But this, that's it. So these boys would have driven this son out, and they would have beat him, and they get permission, because if they're cut off from the people, they're not protected, so these young boys would actually get to throw down and throw some punches on this guy. It's, apparently, it's really common. And so... Not common, but like it's, it's, it's happened. And it's in their integrity. And so the father, lit now hear this. Still, this son is like the lost sheep. We're gonna move through this very quickly. Still the son is like the lost sheep. So hear grace. While the son was still a long way off, while he was still lost outside, the father runs to him. He doesn't wait and he does something that no Middle Eastern man would ever do. He would bare his legs. He would lift up his long robes and he would bare his legs and do something that no growing man was ever allowed to do because it was the epitome of shame. It was the epitome of shame. And so the only teenage boys would do this or mothers were allowed because of their amazing love. And so here we see the picture of the heart of God in Christ. Because Christ left his house. He left all of heaven in the glory. And he came towards, he rescued and he saved in humility and in complete humble attitude of a servant. The father embodies Christ in this, and he embodies grace in this, and he runs to his son, and he kisses him with many, many kisses, just kisses him, covers him, and you can see the image that's going through my head even now, is you can see the townspeople going, that's that boy, let's go get him, and the father runs and goes, oh, it's my son, and he protects him, and he saves him there. Takes it. And then the father begins to. See, the son starts his speech. And apparently for thousands of years, 
It's been interpreted that the son didn't just stop because the father interrupted him. The son changed his mind because he saw he would not have his way with his father and he could not save himself. Because the approach of the son was an approach of any Middle Eastern boy at that time. They would try to figure out a way to pay back the father the money that he's lost. And the father is saying, it's not about the money. It's not about the stuff. It's about you. I love you. I want you. I'm giving you everything. Oh, grace. And then the father begins to reconcile the son with every one of his relationships that he had damaged and destroyed. First with the servants, saying, go get my son the best robes, which have been the father's robes, which robes always marked status. And so the father further humbles himself and gives the son the robes that would give him incredible authority. And it says, place a ring on your finger, which was how you transacted business back then. A ring would literally contain your security information, your credit cards, all of your ability to buy and exchange goods. And he goes, ha, I'm giving you it all in that moment. Because even after the father divided his inheritance, the father still had complete access to do whatever he wanted with the money because it's still his. And if there was anything left over at the end, that went to the sons. Now, every good father left an inheritance for his sons so he wouldn't just spend it recklessly. But it's still the father's. It's not the older sons. The older son's just getting upset later, you'll see, because he's losing out on some of his money. He's going, dang it, that was mine. Which shows his lostness. He didn't love his father either. He wanted his stuff. So he reconciles him. And then he says, bring shoes to the servants. And you know what that meant to those servants? This is my son, because sons wore shoes. Servants did not. No matter what my son's going to act like right now, he's still my son. Go get shoes. Put it on his feet. There's a difference between you and him. And then he begins to reconcile the son with the community. See this? He reconciles. Verse 23. Bring and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's now found and they began to celebrate. And this was no small party. This was a huge deal. Because they wouldn't eat meat on a regular basis. But he says, bring the fattened calf. And so everybody would have been there. All of the family, the extended family, they would have come. And they would have been a part of this party. And the father was actually saying, I am now reconciled to my son. There is no ceremony of rejection taking place. There is no pain coming to my boy. You are going to celebrate with me. Come on in and enjoy my happiness. Come on. It's the gospel. So he's rejoicing before his people. And the father already showed his rejoicing, spinning wildly before all the people. And he brings his son in. And they would have been waiting for the second son to come out from the fields. This boy wasn't working. He was just overseeing. No wealthy son would ever work back then. They would just oversee the land, make sure everything's happening. And so the son came back, 
And as he drew near, near to the house, he heard music and dancing, which it's an exciting moment. Love hearing music and just like moving in. Yeah. Anyways, knows there's a party. And so he calls to one of the servants, but the word here isn't servant, it's boy, young boy. He called to one of those boys that would have driven out his son later because the servants would have been inside serving. These boys weren't actually allowed to go to a party like that because they're too young. And he says to them, and he looks down at them this way, okay? And he says to them, he called to one of the boys and he asked them what this meant. Verse 27, and he said to them, your brother has come and your father has fil- uh, killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So you know what happens here? The young boys go, your brother just showed up and your father has brought him back into perfect peace and reconciliation. The word here is not safe and sound as in healthy versus sick. It's already done reconciliation, shalom. Brought back into perfect wholeness. And it's already a done deal. And guess what? The son, the older son, has nothing to say about it. He doesn't even get to complain. Go, Father, can we talk about this? Uh-uh. He's ar- it's already over. He's a son. He doesn't get to say anything against. No accusation. And yet, the son waits outside. The son waits outside. And he was angry and he refused to go in. Verse 28. His father came out and entreated to him. But he answered his father, look. Doesn't even call him father. These many years I've served you and never disobeyed your commands and you gave me nothing but a young goat. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate my friends. You need to hear this. And this might be hard because we've grown up with this story in a different way. But what the second son did in that moment was worse than what the first son did. Worse. The greatest shame the oldest son could ever bring to his father was to reject his father's invitation and stand on the outside. And again, the same thing would have been expected. The father should have said to his servants from inside the house, go put him in prison, lock him up, I'll deal with him later. Let the party go on. Or drive him out of the city and say, this son was never my son. With severe blows. Because because in that culture and in that day, obedience was not as important as felt appearance or honor. It was better to pretend to honor your father than to obey your father. Which Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. That's why he praises the son that once said, oh, I'll do that, father. And then never did it. Uh, sorry, so it's the son that said, I'm not doing that rather. And then does it later. The father, Jesus praises that boy. He goes, oh, that's the boy that actually did the commands of the father. So you see what's happening here. Father is shamed by his oldest son. And the father humbles himself again in greater depth. Even in more shame. And everybody would have waited breathlessly at what was going to happen. And it says this. 
So it says, but when your son, your son, not even his brother, your son, this son of yours, has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed, you've killed the fattened calf for him. He's, he's making an accusation that in that day, the younger son would have the opportunity to fight his brother to the death. This is a, not a big, this is a huge comment. And then the father said to him, and the words there is the father came alongside. Maddie, can you come on up here for a second? Says this, the father came alongside his son. Not in front of his son. Came alongside of his son and said, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. The father tries to entreat his son to see things from his perspective. To see things from his perspective. And Jesus responds to the accusations of the Pharisees about why he eats and receives and welcomes them into fellowship, sinners, why he brings them in. And he goes, this is yours. This is for you. You need to see how good I am. It's way worse than you thought. I've already made covenant with them. I've come here to die for them, to give my life as a ransom for many. I am welcoming in these sinners into fellowship, the same fellowship that you were welcomed into as the chosen people of God. I'm bringing them in. I'm bringing the lost ones that are outside home. And yet the goodness and loving kindness of Jesus Christ shows and goes, look from my perspective. This is my son. How could I not? Why would you deny me my joy? Which changes all witnessing and all gospel proclamation because we welcome those that are far off and those that are lost even in our midst, calling them to be reconciled to their father because this is what Jesus lays as the foundation of what repentance is. Accepting your acceptance. This is the foundation of repentance according to Jesus. His first you accept your acceptance like the sheep that is lost. He just accepts and goes, bah, and gets carried home by the shepherd. And like the coin that accepts and goes back to its home with the other coins. And like the son that is brought in and not left out at a distance, the father, which is Christ, comes to save and if you understand this gospel proclamation, you'll preach it rightly to yourself because you don't graduate from the gospel. Our foundation and our posture is to accept our acceptance, accept what Christ has already done for us, and then we're led into full relationship because he reconciles us to himself. But it starts first with accepting what he's already done. And many of us still stay in that state of frustration going, but I don't know how he can love me. I don't know why he would love me. Look what I did this week. Look what I did last week. We struggle so much with being accepted. 
We struggle so much, not just with casual, I'll tolerate you. Jesus, we often think Jesus tolerates us. That after he spent enough time with us, that he goes, starts regretting his decision to save you. It's like, oh man, this is way worse than I thought. You weren't kidding when you said you were bad. But he looks, he, Jesus never regrets. Do you know how we know that? According to Romans 5, the Bible says that Jesus saved us when we were at our worst. When we were still enemies against him, he saved us. And the, old, the younger son that was outside would still be considered an enemy of his father. And the son comes in and welcomes him home. And uh, the father welcomes him home and kisses him with many kisses. You need to hear this this morning. Jesus does not love a future version of you. And he doesn't love a future version of your family members. He doesn't love a future version of everybody else here. He loves them. Will he leave us where we find ourselves? Uh-uh. Because look at what the father does. He begins to reconcile us with all of our broken relationships. That's the way he rolls. That's the way Christ rolls. He covers, he covers, he clothes, he empowers with the ring and he puts shoes on your feet and he says, this is the gospel of grace. You are a son, not a slave. So we get to praise sons, not slaves. We get to praise as children of God. And we get to embrace and embody the life that Christ has for us. Accepting your acceptance is the foundation of repentance. Accepting your acceptance. And this is a new form and it's very difficult because when you start realizing your stuff, in all of your pain, you go, but I, but I, I, I don't know. You go, no, it's his love, not yours. And we receive. That's why we praise. That's why we join into his celebration. Come on. I'm going to uh, just get a song played over you uh, that I felt like was significant for this morning, and then we'll invite the band up, and we'll move into response. But why don't you just kind of hear this this morning and we'll uh, respond accordingly after.
for a moment, when you take the Middle Eastern language and you put the words, oh my father, I have sinned, it forms a cross. Isn't that amazing? Do you stand this morning? Song, when you crash over me is exactly the picture I have of the love, the